Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to Don't Stop Us Now. I'm Claire Hatton. And I'm Greta Thomas. This show is all about sharing inspiration, uplifting stories and practical career advice from innovative, original thinking and pioneering women from around the world. You can find us here every second week or why not sign up at don'tstopusnow.co so you never miss a show. Plus, you'd make our day if you could rate or review us. It really gives us a boost in more ways than one. It sure does. Now it's time for this week's show. Hello and welcome to the show. We've got a really special episode for you today as we're doing a deep dive into the wonderful world of AI with a truly world-leading expert. Yes, he's such an expert that McKinsey and Co have just bought his AI company, but more about that in a minute. So in this episode, we'll explore the hype of generative AI that has been everywhere lately thanks to ChatGPT. And this is the first in a series of occasional episodes that we'll be doing focusing on AI. Yeah, and featuring different experts in that field. Absolutely. So today we're going to look at exactly what is generative AI, which is the type of AI that ChatGPT and Google's Bard both are. Then we're going to step back and put all the hype that's been around in the last few months into context with our fantastic expert. His name is Asaf Sumek, and he's founder and CEO of an AI company called Aguazio. And that's the one McKinsey has just acquired. Absolutely. And then we're going to switch gears a bit and look at the risks and concerns around AI, as well as regulation. And we'll finish off by sharing some valuable AI resources if you're interested. So let's dive in. You know, with all the recent hype around ChatGPT in particular, you may be saying, yeah, but what is generative AI? Well, we thought we'd ask ChatGPT exactly what it would say about generative AI. And here's its answer. It said, Generative AI is a type of AI that involves generating new content or data, such as images or music or text. And it typically involves using deep learning techniques to create new content that is similar to existing content. Now, we verified this elsewhere, and that's a, a sort of a reasonable description. It's maybe not as clear to understand as it could be. No, but I think it's fascinating and really good that it so plainly sort of points out that it creates new content similar to existing content. Yeah, it sounds quite unimaginative, doesn't it? Yeah, it does actually. Yeah. And in fact, I heard on the podcast, the Ezra Klein show, which we both love, don't yeah. we? You know, they, they've spoken about the fact that ChatGPT is a kind of a, a big cut and paste machine, really. It kind of cuts and pastes from all the written materials it's been trained on and combines them in new ways without really understanding what it's doing. 
it's primarily trained to predict the next word in a sentence, and it can just as easily produce answers that are incorrect as correct. So despite its authoritative tone, it isn't necessarily true. Yeah, that is the amazing thing. You know, the other angle that interests me, you know, is just what ChatGPT does. And we're, we're sort of focusing on ChatGPT mostly right now because that's where a lot of the hype has been. And obviously ChatGPT is about words, whereas you've got, you know, Dali or some of the others about images, but the same kind of concepts apply. But, you know, the other thing that I was saying is that I'm really interested in, you know, what does ChatGPT Chat GPT do, that's real tongue twister, with the information <laughs> or data we type into the prompt box. So, so again, I actually asked GPT, I said, you know, hey, what do you do if I give you information? Do you retain this information and learn from it? And Chat GPT replied, as an AI language model, I am designed to process and generate responses based on the input I receive. However, I do not retain information in the same way that a human brain does. Instead, I use complex algorithms to analyze and understand the input that I receive and then use that understanding to generate responses. It continued, while I can learn in the sense that I can be fine-tuned on specific tasks or domains such as medical diagnoses or language translation, I don't have the ability to form long-term memories or retain information beyond the data that's been fed to me during my training process. That's really interesting, isn't it? Mm. And it's interesting because it's definitely not a complete answer. Well, that's right. If you just went on what ChatGPT told you there, you would feel reassured that if you had put something in, if knowing that it had been trained up until 2021 data, you'd be okay. But it's not, is it? No, it's not. And, you know, if ChatGPT had gone on to say that, you know, my informational question I type is retained and that it may be reviewed and used by its human AI trainers to train and improve it, then that would have been more of a correct answer, I think. Yeah, that's right. Because that is the case that you can find that your info and data can be used still to train ChatGPT, even though the kind of the more well-known sort of summary out there is that it was sort of trained up until what was on the web and the like till 20, I think it's 2021. Yeah. And I think you'll find that Google's Bard actually does tell you exactly what it retains and it does retain the text that you put in. Yeah. It just goes to show just how careful you have to be because, you know, that answer ChatGPT gave you know, I think was quite misleading. Maybe not intentionally. I'm not saying it's intentional at all. In fact, when you go to OpenAI, which is the developer of ChatGPT, it says in its FAQs that your conversations may be reviewed and potentially used for training ChatGPT in the future. Yeah. And I, so I think the moral of the story is don't enter confidential or sensitive information. Absolutely. And, you know, that applies to whether it's ChatGPT, Google's Bard, or any other generative AI tool. Absolutely. You know, it really, really, really does. Nonetheless, even with these cautionary notes about confidentiality, there's no doubt that thanks to the hype and its capabilities that millions of people are now regularly trying ChatGPT and all the other 
chatbots that have come along. Yeah, and but you have to admit that certainly to date, ChatGPT has sort of stolen the lead and has got the main sort of spotlight, but it'll be really interesting now that Bard has um, released its new version. But, you know, as a result of the amazingly sort of quick uptake by all these people around the world and all the hype, you know, the big tech companies, Microsoft, Google and Meta, are throwing everything at coming up with whatever's going to be the winning version of a generative AI tool. And as I was just saying, you know, ChatGPT has the head start, but Google has already flagged. You can play with Bard already, but it's going to be soon integrating Bard into both Google Search and into the Google Docs sort of native environment as well. So you don't even have to go to a separate page and then cut and paste the answer and go back to your Google Doc or whatever. It'll all be in the same sort of page that you're working on. So with all the millions or billions of Google customers and users out there, that could end up being a real big advantage for Google. Oh, totally. And I personally, I can't wait because I love you know, I'm an ex, I'm a Goog, I'm a, I'm a Zoogler, <laughs> as they call an ex Googler. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think that's going to be amazing. That's the workspace you I work in. Breathe, yeah, I you do. Know. Absolutely. As do I pretty much. Yeah. But, you know, while the, the big tech companies are going mad for generative AI, what about businesses outside of big tech? You know, how many businesses are doing more than just playing around the edges with AI today? Exactly. And, you know, our AI expert guest today, and someone I did my MBA with 20 years ago, who is a great friend, is Asaf Somek, founder and CEO of Iguazio, an Israeli-based AI company. And as we mentioned earlier, Iguazio has just recently been acquired by the management consultancy McKinsey & Company because of the work it does and the technology it has to create machine learning platforms that help more businesses succeed with AI. And as you'll hear Asaf explain in a moment, to date, very few businesses have successfully deployed AI at real scale. Here's Asaf. We've been focused on a problem that is still a big problem in the market, which is a huge gap between AI in the lab and an AI in the real world. You know, our slogan at Iguazio has been bringing data science to life because it was underestimated the efforts that are needed or the tools and the efforts that are needed in order to actually bring this, the beautiful stuff that has been done for the past 10 years in many, many organizations in the lab where data science team have proven the potential of AI for all of these businesses. I mean, we've been hearing about it for ages. I mean, everybody talking, oh, we'll do this and that. And guess what? I mean, not a lot of it. I mean, actually, a tiny bit of it is uh, making it to the real world. And you know, at McKinsey, we have the stats that not only in McKinsey, actually also Gartner have similar stats where about 10% of projects are successful. The other 90% are actually dying on the way to production. I mean, these are projects that were successful in the lab. I mean, the CEO and the management team loved the concept and said, okay, bring it on. And then you check a year later and nothing happens. Wow. People underestimated the effort, they underestimated the technologies that are needed, they underestimated the processes that are needed uh, in order to do this properly. And that has been the focus of Iguazio. While we have gazillion of tools to develop models, I mean, everybody talks about machine learning models, deep learning models, 
all of these technologies, lots of tools to build those applications in the lab. But the moment you want to bring it into your production environment, your day-to-day business, there's those failures. This is what we've been trying to fix. And that's why McKinsey acquired us. When I look at AI today, as I said, on using it in day-to-day in businesses, it's still a luxury of the tech giants. So who yeah. are using it effectively? It Netflixes and the Spotify's and the Facebooks and the Googles of the world. Yeah. But if you think about it, how much are large enterprise companies are really using AI in an effective way on their day-to-day business? It's not a lot. It's definitely starting. I'm, I'm meeting many uh, large clients where you see that there's a trickle of applications that are actually making it to that category that they're using AI day to day. But this is when they feel, well, it's too hard to do it the way we've done it. We need something to do it at scale. We need a mechanism. We call it to build a machine learning factory in these organizations where they can actually bring more and more applications that are AI-based to the business. Sometimes those applications will will be a failure, but at least try. You know, if you think about what's happened in the last few months, I mean, for you, it must be like, this is just not, not new news at all, but the whole world has suddenly sort of woken up to AI, it seems anyway. Well, particularly the whole kind of chat. Yeah, the, 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 the chat bot kind generative of stuff. AI yeah, stuff. absolutely. What do you think has changed? So it was made accessible to all of us. I mean, there were chatbots out there, but they were horrible, most of them, right? I mean, probably I want to talk with a human. Give me a human. Give me a human, right? I mean, you've been doing that, I'm sure, because I've been doing that. And now suddenly you have something that is really effective. And people, you know, there was obviously good marketing around it. As usual, you know, eventually it's it's about marketing at the end of the day. But this is suddenly you have a tool that you know you're using AI and it's helping many people, you know, students are just, you know, this is part of their day-to-day now. I mean, professors need to find a way to identify stuff that was done by ChatGPT, right? I think, that, yes, it is in a way, even anecdotal, that suddenly you have a tool like that and people are, everybody talks about AI. But we've been all using AI for many, many more years. I mean, yeah. are, are, haven't we been playing chess with a computer? It was AI. It was different technologies. It was whatever was available back then in the 90s. I had the pleasure to, uh, in my university days, you know, that will reveal my age. Uh, <laughs> back in 1990, I had my first course in AI. Did you? Yeah. Wow. And this was all about creating software that you teach that software how to play checkers. I loved it. This this was the best course I had in all of my four years of computer engineering at the time. There's always like fashion around AI. So we need to be mindful of that at a certain point, you know, maybe this wave will also kind of uh, die down. Yeah, maybe this wave will die down. It'll be so fascinating. But goodness knows, Asaf has certainly seen the uh, cycles and changes with AI over decades, hasn't he? How fascinating. Yeah, I know. I had no idea he'd been developing basic AI models back in the 90s. And I've, I've known him for ages. I see. You know, 
I think it's time for a bit of light relief here. I'm really looking forward to sharing this, to share something that I saw online where people got ChatGPT to write a joke as if it was writing for one of the American comedy shows, the Stephen Colbert show. And they then compared the artificially created joke with one that the real show actually did use on the same topic. And the topic was all about President Joe Biden confirming he would contest the next US presidential election. So the real Colbert, written by a human presumably, said, Of course, we know President Biden's real opponent is the ravages of time. If he wins a second term, he'll be 86 when he leaves office. And voters feel, to put it delicately, that is way too, and there was some kind of swear word, old. But what matters is that Biden is young at heart. It's just all his other organs we have to worry about. (laughs) Okay, so quite a cool joke there from a human writer. What about... AI's attempt. Okay, so here was Chat GPT's attempt at a joke for the Stephen Colbert show on the same topic. Big news today, folks. President Biden has announced that he'll be running for re-election. That's right. The man who once said he didn't want to run for president because of his age is now saying age is just a number and so is 78. Now, I know some of you might be concerned about President Biden's age. In a recent poll, 50% of Americans said they were worried about his age, and the other 50% were Joe Biden. But let's be real, folks. Biden's age isn't a big deal. He's got the energy of a 30-year-old and the memory of a... uh, Well, actually, I forget what I was going to (laughs) say. And that's the joke. It's You know what? It's actually quite good. Yeah, it's not bad, is it? No, it's not bad, but... But there's a big but here. Yeah. What the BBC News Chelsea Bailey found when she did this test is that while AI's Biden joke isn't bad, it contained some major errors. Yeah. You know, it said Biden was 78, but he's actually 80 now. That's the issue of ChatGPT being trained mostly on data up to 2021. Yeah, two years out of date. Exactly. You know, it's definitely one of the biggest weaknesses with these models for sure is, you know, you definitely can't use ChatGPT if you want jokes on current news and news (laughs) items of the day. That's for sure. You know, it's just this whole kind of datedness. Exactly. And then the other thing about that joke, you know, it quoted um, polling data. Yeah. Well, when I was asked to verify its source for the 50% figure it gave, ChatGPT replied, I don't have access to current polling data. So you can see this aspect of ChatGPT's confident writing of information as if it's a fact could be a huge problem and could be really bad news in terms of the spread of misinformation, actually. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's all very well in a joke, but, you know, it could just as easily been asked to have written a news story. And if you start spreading some of that misinformation about a potentially non-existent poll, just because it sounds good, there's a massive problem. You know, speaking of concerns about AI, we asked Asaf about his views on the risks and whether regulation was needed. And, you know, it was really interesting what he had to say. Here he is. I think if people misuse AI, of course, there is a risk. I mean, would you put some AI-based decisions on critical systems that it, it can be scary? I mean, if this is not properly done, I mean, I mean, this is where moral and judgment uh and regulation? True. That's that's for sure. 
very interesting topic these days. On one side, regulation. On the other hand, are you, you know, kind of um, shutting down innovation by creating uh, regulation? I think there is a balance that needs to be done there. I think in the current geopolitical atmosphere, it's a bit problematic what's going on right now. You know, some countries are not, I mean, AI is going like full steam with no intention to regulate it. And then in other countries, there is the the need to do that. But then those countries will say, hey, aren't we hurting our relative advantage if we're regulating and the others are not? So it's it's a scary conversation. It is. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a really big conversation. And you know it's a a really big conversation because everybody is talking about it. Like it's not just happening in, you know, the parliaments or in boardrooms. It's actually happening everywhere. Everyone's having conversation about it. I had a conversation with my parents the other night about AI. You know, and deep fakes and things like that. Deep fake, I mean, um I mean, see what's happening in in the world, and 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 how everything was fueled by social media combined with deep fake. It can be a disaster. I'm actually surprised that it's not happening more than than what we see right now. I don't know about you, but I'm definitely a fan of regulation in this area. Yeah, but I also get how complex getting really good policy can be, given different nations are viewing this so differently, and it really—it's a really fine line, isn't it? Well, it's going to be challenging because no one nation is want, going to want to disadvantage itself if others are saying no, we're going full steam ahead, gung ho, etc. So it, it's going to be a, a fraught and very interesting few years ahead. I think, you know, the principle of explainability is so key. And, you know, Asaf talked about that. And actually I had, I felt quite heartened by his news in terms of, you know, regulation in the pipeline coming up in one part of the world, hopefully. Here he is again, just talking about that. There is, you know, as usual, it all starts in Europe, uh, just like GDPR. Yeah. There is a draft already of AI regulations that include them. There's like a big part of it is around explainability. And when a certain model predicts something or decides something, the regulators are expecting that company to have a way to explain why was that decision made. And that's exactly the point that those models that are presumably black boxes need to have some peeping holes where you can actually understand why was that decision made. Yeah. And so is that hard to do at the moment? So that's a whole product category that has been evolving in the market. And there are companies that only specialize in that, um, lots of open source projects as well. You have to take it into the equation when you build your ML factory, right? Part of it has to also include governance big time. You also, I mean, in order to explain, you also want to understand what was that data set that was used in order to make this decision. So it's the combination of the original data set and some tools that actually analyze what happened here within the model and explain to you, okay, here is what happened here. And this is, you know, I'm sure the whole conversation around gender biases and things like that. I mean, that's where explainability comes into play too actually figure out what just happened here. 
you know, I'm sure this must be what the uh, Wild West felt like, you know, all the pioneers entering new territory and land when there were no laws or officials or police. And it's kind of chaotic. Yeah. And then all those rules and regulations play catch up eventually. Yeah, we hope. Exactly. You know, you just hope it doesn't take too long because I think with AI, there is a lot at stake in getting appropriate guardrails in place for its ethical and appropriate use. Yeah, absolutely. There certainly is a lot of urgency. Well, you know, we've talked enough about the downsides. Shall we share a few useful AI resources if listeners are interested and want to learn more? Yeah, that would be great. Well, we're going to share a few things that we've really enjoyed and read sort of every day, pretty much, or listen to. So the first one is this great email newsletter called neatprompts.com. So you go to neatprompts.com and sign up there. And what they do is they send you a fantastic newsletter every day, actually, that talks about, you know, a few new things in AI, shows you a couple of tools, but also then teaches you how to use something called prompts, which is the text you put in to ask the chatbot to do something for certain topics. So for example, you know, if you wanted to write a blog post and you wanted to prompt it to give you a blog post about the Don't Stop Us Now podcast and... How fantastic it is. How fa- exactly, exactly. <laughs> it teaches you how to write that prompt in a way that you're going to get a really good answer. So we love that one, don't we? I think just the examples that it brings to life helps uh, broaden your horizons about what use cases you can have for generative AI. And I think that's the gold in particular is the yeah, broadening of the use cases. Yeah, totally. And then a podcast for you, which our favorite is called Hard Fork. And it's with the journalist Kevin Ruse and Casey Newton. And they basically explore and make sense of the latest in the rapidly changing world of tech. And they're spending a huge amount of time on generative AI at the moment. And there's some really phenomenal and interesting episodes there to listen to. The next is, you know, we assume you've probably tried out ChatGPT by now, but if, if you haven't, then please do because you can't really get your head around it until you can see really the power and and remembering that this is just the beginning. But you can now check out Google's Bard at bard.google.com. It's actually really good. It's a bit different in its tone. And so you can sort of explore and compare the results that you get with Bard versus ChatGPT. I've been really interested in, I think it's using more up-to-date information. I actually did a test of asking it to compare a Tesla with a Polestar 2. Yeah, two electric cars. Yeah, the Tesla Y and the Polestar 2. Open for sponsorship from either vehicle. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) What was really interesting was that I think Google ultimately recommended the... Polestar. Was it the Polestar? Yeah, because it's got Google integrated into its... No, that's not why. That's not why. It gave actually some much better research than ChatGPT did. Right. And ChatGPT recommended the Tesla Y. And, you know, to be honest, 
it's very close. <laughs> but anyway, that was interesting. One other chatbot, which I found quite interesting, is one founded by Reid Hoffman, who started LinkedIn and was on the OpenAI board for eight years, called HeyPi. That's H-E-Y-P-I. And it's really chatty. <laughs> it's got a real personality that's quite different from the others. It is hilarious. When it starts, it tries to have a conversation with you. It started asking me about my hobbies and things like that. (laughs) Literally, it got to the point where it kept asking me so many questions that I, in the end, I had to say, look, hey, Pi, do you mind if we change topics here? Because I'm getting a bit bored. And then its reply was really hilarious. It said, absolutely, my friend. How about we change the subject? (laughs) And then moved on. It's got such attitude. It really does. Yeah, it was It was really interesting. So, you know, they're just a few little things to check out. You know, there's so, so many resources out there. Yeah, we've actually put a, a host of uh, useful links and a list of resources together in a doc. So email us if you'd like us to send those to you. Email us at hello at don'tstopusnow.co. Fantastic. Well, that's this episode done and dusted. Stay tuned for a special fifth birthday episode next time. Can you believe that? Our fifth birthday. It's incredible. We are positively ancient in podcast terms. (laughs) You can say that again. (laughs) You know, also coming up in the next few weeks is a conversation with one of this year's award winners from the Global Cartier Women's Initiative, On that note, if you're a female entrepreneur owning or leading an impact-focused startup or business, then applications are open from now, well, already open, till June 30 for next year's program. Just Google Cartier Women's Initiative to learn more. It's pretty amazing. You know, you and your business could be in the running for a grant of up to $100,000, as well as some amazing leadership programs and support. It's a really fantastic opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Now, see you next with our very special birthday episode featuring the key takeaways we've got from five years of interviews. Until then, have a great week. Take care and ciao for now. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.